Today our message comes from 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask him, we receive from him, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now usually John is a very kind of writer that describes things in a, in a way that's relatively simple. His, his grammar, his vocabulary is always pretty simple and plain. But here he gets kind of, kind of ununderstandable. So we want to unpack that today. And remember, I talked about that before, some words of encouragement when life may not be going exactly as planned, that we can still have confidence in God and trust in him, because we know three things from this text. We know love, we know truth, and we know he abides with us. All incredibly important things when life turns sideways. Confidence comes by clinging to what we know. So by this, we know love. Here's the first thing. We know love. The only way to know love is through the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return of Jesus. This is agape kind of love. John 3.16 kind of love. And John, writing in just a chapter Past our text today, he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, super important, God is love. The sacrificial kind of love. This unwarranted, undeserved kind of love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for kind of love. Right, just, just think about that for a second. That God doesn't say, you are almost lovable. If only you could work on X, Y, and Z, oh, I would love you so much more. He comes to us and approaches us knowing everything wrong about us. Loving us fully and completely as is. His love for you is full, sacrificial, willing to go to any length to rescue and redeem you. So if God is love, then Jesus is God. Jesus is love. Now, it's probably overly simplistic to say that Jesus is love, and it, it, it ignores a lot of amazing characteristics about who Jesus is. But for the purpose of this text and the purpose of our message today, in knowing love, we know love by knowing Jesus and his great love for you. 
Well, how does the world define love? What really does the world think of love? Usually we can boil that down to physical or material desires. Or from the terms of relationships, what can I get out of the relationship? For many years, I used to see love as something that was a commodity, something that was supposed to be given to me, and so I would take love from others. Not recognizing that a biblical sense of love is not about what can I take from you, but what can I sacrifice for you. Right? God has taught me that love is not something that I receive or take or steal from other people, but rather it's what I seek to give and share. The receiving I get from God. Sometimes I get it from God through some other people. But my goal in a loving relationship is what can I give instead of take? So how are we to love? Who are we to love? Our text is very clear today in the context of our message is, is brothers. We can incorporate brothers and sisters into this concept. And it's not just the familial relationships that we have, but it's our faith family relationships. Remember John writing this letter not to a broad bunch of people who don't know Christ. He's writing this letter to a bunch of believers. This is not an evangelical kind of letter meant to bring people to faith. This is a, a letter meant to encourage those already in the family. And he's saying, guys, you got to love each other, especially those brothers and sisters who are in need. If they have need and you have plenty, then it's your job to help and love and serve those in need. And how do we do that? We're supposed to lay down our lives. John says, just as, as he loved us by laying down his life for us, that's how we're supposed to love our brothers. Well, what does that mean today in practical terms to lay down your life for somebody else? You know, the, the obvious is, is, is taking a look at our, our first responders or our military. They lay down their lives. They, they, they risk their lives day in and day out to protect ours. That's one way to think of this. But for those of you who don't have one of those kind of heroic jobs, maybe you have a heroic job of another sort, how do you lay down your life for the brothers and sisters in the faith? I'm going to give you some, some practical examples. Number one, I think one of the, one of the most important is the act of forgiveness. Right, we have a rule in our family, if someone apologizes when they're wrong and they say, I'm sorry, we have a rule that we don't say, it's okay, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. Or it's not as bad as what you did yesterday. We say two words, incredibly powerful. We said them earlier in our service today. I forgive. I forgive you. I guess that's three words. I forgive you. Because to forgive takes sacrifice, doesn't it? You have to let go of hurt. You have to let go of resentment. You have to let go in order to offer forgiveness. It comes at a cost. We don't have to pay the same cost, the extreme cost that Jesus did, because we never have to, 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 to forgive for the sins of the world. But just that was done to us, or that that we've done to somebody else. So forgiveness, that's one great way that we lay down our life, make a sacrifice for somebody else. Anything that you do to, to put aside your own wishes, to put those aside and live sacrificially for somebody else. Parents, we do this with our children as we put their well-being as a priority. Whenever you have a conversation with somebody, this is just a simple way. Whenever you're having a conversation with somebody, to, to be fully present with them, to not be checking 
your time or your messages or your texts, but to be present. To make that person feel like they're the only person in the room, that they matter, that they're important, to be curious about them. And John says we're not supposed to do this with a closed heart. We're supposed to do this with an open heart. Now, John doesn't use the word heart because that's, a, that's kind of an English concept. It's an idiom. It's a phrase that we have in English that helps you kind of understand a concept that you, you open up your heart to somebody. You're, you're receptive to them. You, you have care and compassion to them. In, in the Greek language, it's way more visceral. It's this word we've used in here before. Maybe you've heard me say it before, but it's splagizomai. And it's the gut, right? It's like the right, the seat of your emotions, right there, the thing that just churns inside you and burns in your stomach or causes you incredible heartache and brokenness when you see somebody in need or hurting. And he's saying, don't just close up. Don't just, don't be close-hearted. Be open to let that care and compassion move out of you. To, to feel in our guts when people are hurting. To feel in our guts so much so that it moves us to act in our compassion. To not just speak these words, but to, to love them. And in, in not just in our actions and in our deeds, but in, a, excuse me, but in actions and in truth. What is it that just kind of opens up your gut and makes you want to do something for somebody else? You know, maybe that's when you see somebody who is, who is completely helpless and unable to, to defend themselves or, or unable to get out of a situation that they, they just need help. Maybe that's something that opens up your heart. For me, the thing that, that, that just kind of opens up my gut, splagizomize me the most, is when I see somebody who once was completely without hope, begin to see that hope may be possible. And they're unsure of exactly what that looks like or how that means or, 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 or even how to experience it. But that person who's right on the verge of allowing God's light to shine into their life, oh man, I splagids of my all over the place when that happens. It, it makes me, it moves me, it motivates me to do and say things, to walk with them in that hope. To love. Right, so when life is really difficult, we can take great confidence in knowing that we are loved by God, the creator of the universe, the one who made all of this, the one who has, has exponential amount of power and authority, loves me. He loves you. That should bring us a little bit of confidence today. And let's grow in that confidence because it's not just that we would know love, but we'd also know the truth. John says. And truth is kind of a slippery sliding scale in today's world and society, but here is the truth. This is the truth particularly that John wants us to know about today. It's the reality, the truth of our condition of our heart, our heart condition. And he says, he gives us a self-assessment tool that how is your heart feeling right now? Are there things that convict you? That's what he's talking about when he says, if our hearts condemn us. That's those convictions we feel, that, that pit in your stomach when you, you've done something that you knew you weren't supposed to do, or you didn't do something that you knew you were supposed to do, when your conscience just kind of eats at you from the inside out. When Satan accuses you for your failures, 
or in the context of what we're talking about today when you see a brother or sister in need and you just walk right by. Now, when our hearts condemn us, I love what John adds here. He says, God is greater than your heart. Like, if your heart is condemning you today, if you feel guilt or shame, know this truth. God is greater than your heart. God's heart, God's compassion, God's love is greater than your sin and guilt. That when our heart condemns us, here's what we're called to do. Go to God in repentance. What we just did with confession just moments ago. To run to the cross to see that the body's no longer there, to run to the empty tomb, to know that the body's not already there, to, to go to the Savior who's walked out of the tomb and seek his forgiveness and his mercy, to seek his grace and let his love that is greater than the truth of our brokenness make us whole again. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. God is greater than our hearts in this context means that God doesn't kind of harbor some kind of grudge where he says, I forgive you, but you have done this way too many times. He doesn't have that human kind of heart. He has a God-sized heart that is full of grace and compassion without end. And then John says, but, but if your heart doesn't condemn you, then you can have confidence in him. Now, the only way that our hearts can, can not feel condemned is not when we live great lives, right? When we can, we can walk through our day and go, man, it was touch and go there for a minute, but I made it all day long without sinning. I can stand in confidence in front of God knowing that I am awesome today. Not what that means, because there's not one of us in this room who had accomplished that. What it does mean is that when we remember that we are broken but forgiven, we can stand in the presence of our God with confidence. And knowing that when he sees us, he doesn't see any of our brokenness, he doesn't see any of our sin, he sees only the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And we can stand in confidence. We can approach him in confidence in prayer when we pray in Jesus' name because we're not asking for the sake of Tig, but for the sake of Christ, hear my prayer. And when we approach the Lord in his supper and receive his very real presence in his body and blood, we can do that in confidence knowing that even though we are poor, miserable sinners, we are poor, miserable sinners who have been washed clean and forgiven by the gift that we are about to receive. Confidence in him. So how do we do this heart check and kind of see what we do and the love that we share for our brothers and what's the motivation behind it? Because I think sometimes we can approach the motivation to to love our brothers from a law perspective, right? Well, if I don't love my neighbor, then God will rain down hellfire and brimstone. Or if 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 I don't help my brother in need, then X, Y, and Z will happen as a consequence and negative punishment towards me. That's a law motivation. A gospel motivation is more like this. Man, I failed helping my brother or sister today. My heart's convicting me. And so I run to the cross 
and I run to Christ and I receive his grace and I encounter that grace and I savor that grace and I value and appreciate that grace so much that I could never earn or deserve what he gives it. He lavishes it on me. Oh, I want other people to know that too. And let that motivation be what drives your love for others. So we know the love of God. That gives us confidence. We grow in that confidence. We know the truth of ourselves that we're broken but forgiven sinners. And in that forgiveness, we can stand in confidence. But I love this last one the most of all. We know that God abides in us. This is real presence kind of stuff that we're talking about. What does it mean to know that God abides in you? To, to, to be a poor, miserable sinner, to know that God still dwells within us. He makes his home in us. But sometimes we don't feel like it, right? It's, it's our sin that makes us like we don't feel like it. And here's one of the reasons why I love the, the Lutheran concept of, of, of faith and religion is that it doesn't really have anything to do with our feeling. It's the truth that we know. That when Jesus says, I will, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, he doesn't mean most times. He doesn't mean unless you mess up. He means I will be with you always. I will abide with you. I will send a helper to abide with you and the Holy Spirit will, will be in you. You will never be alone. I will walk with you every step of your life. The celebratory steps, the commiserating steps. I will be with you always. Strengthening you, equipping you, encouraging you, giving you hope. Giving you confidence. Knowing that, it gives us this splagizomai motivated, gut motivated Love for our brothers and sisters in need. By the Spirit, we have faith. The Holy Spirit empowers us to believe in Jesus' forgiving hope and his forgiving love, and we're prompted to do something about it. When God abides in us, we're unoffendable. When God abides in us, we realize that our cup is full. For those of you who feel like your love cup is just empty, is draining out, is maybe punctured and full of holes... I want you to know this, God's love is enough. And he is constantly, right now, pouring his love into you. And not just enough to get by. Not just enough to just barely make it through this day. More than enough. More than you require. More than you need. As David writes in the Psalms, your cup overflows. And then John says something kind of confusing. In all of this knowing, what in the world is he talking about here? John says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If you keep the commandments, John says, God abides in you. But how many of you did that this week? It's easy to, to read these words and go, huh, I'm out of luck. Like, I, I've sinned like 47 times just in the last 10 minutes. Maybe 15. So God must not abide with me and start to doubt that. But remember, folks, context is everything when we look at God's word. Because 
he tells us exactly what commandments he's speaking about. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments in general, but he's being very specific. Believe in Jesus and love one another. Believe in Jesus and love one another. Keep these commandments. You have fellowship with God. I can, I can manage that. Right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I can, I can believe in Jesus by the splagizomai motivated work of gospel motivated love for my brothers and sisters. I can do that. Maybe not perfectly, but I can do it. And God abides in you. That fellowship is only possible because of the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us through his word, through his sacraments. Now on Pentecost, Christ sent the Spirit immediately, right away, right? Like right then and there. But he's remained, right? It's easy for us to maybe to fall into the trap to say, well, maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't come for me yet. No, the Holy Spirit is here. He's been here since Pentecost. He makes a promise to work through the word of God to accomplish what he designs. It's a promise that we receive him in the sacraments. The gift that he's given to us in his word his words spoken to us, a message that was relevant when it was written by John is just as much relevant to us today. And it's God's word breathed into our lives. We don't have to guess what God is thinking. He tells us in black and white and sometimes red what he's saying. These promised gifts of forgiveness, of faith, and faith growth through his word and his sacraments. That by these things, the spirit opens up our understanding of his grace to be able to believe in Christ, to have that confidence that comes in knowing the great love of God that it is for you. To grow in that confidence with what you know of. To grow in confidence of what you know of the truth of who you are of your brokenness, of your great need for grace, and even more so, <laughs> these lights are bugging me, even more so to know the truth of his grace for you that revitalizes your life. And then finally, we grow even more in that confidence in knowing that our God, who loves us, who forgives us, who heals us, abides in us. He is with you right now. He is with you wherever you go. You can have confidence even when life seems sideways because God loves you. You know that. And you know the truth of who you are and who he is to you. And you know he is with you always. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we, we, we are at your feet today and, and there are hurting people in this room. I pray that you would draw near to them that you would open their eyes to, to see and know and believe in the great love that you have for them. You know where they've been and what they've done, but you still love them. And that love, God, brings us into the truth that we are broken and in your love, you've sacrificed yourself, you've laid down your life for us. Motivate us to do the same towards others. And God, thank you for that promise that you abide with us. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.